It's summertime and the living is easy, or so they tell me. You might be out for a run, on a walk, in the gym, driving on a train, or just simply sitting on the beach while you listen to this. And this episode is a best of edition focused on a question that really is pretty important when you think about your retirement years, and that's where will you live in retirement? These best of editions are intended to give you a chance to catch up on episodes you may have missed on a particular topic. So you'll find links to the full conversations in the show notes and what you're about to hear are short snippets of conversations with some of our guests who have talked about this very question, where we live in retirement. It turns out that it seems simple, but there's a lot of aspects to it to consider beyond even the practical ones. One of the first questions is, are you going to age in place? And one thing I've noticed is sometimes people say that as almost a default knee-jerk reaction. Where are you going to live in retirement? I'm going to age in place. I'm going to stay here. And sometimes without taking the time to think that fully through, what does it mean? What are the consequences? And my guest, Kathleen Toomey, asked a great question. If you're planning on aging in place, are you planning to tell someone about it? The biggest fallacy that people have when they think about retirement is they say, I'm going to age in place. And I'm putting quote marks in for your listeners. Age in place. Age in place means nothing. Age in place is a way to say, I'm going to stay in my house and ignore the world and myself changing. So if you want to age in place, you have to modify your home. You have to set aside money for internal caregivers. You have to make a plan. You have to share it with your financial advisor, your kids, et cetera. You can't just stay in your home and say, I'm aging in place because that's not a plan. So my big message to your listeners is no matter what age you are, assuming you're, let's say, over 60, make a plan, cost it out, share it with your financial advisor, your elder care attorney or attorney, your kids, and think about that. And if your plan is that your kids are going to take care of you, tell them. <laughs> Let them in on that. Say, I'm going to move in with you or you're going to be my plan and have that conversation because you owe it to them to just put that out there. The other option you have, which I'm a huge fan of, is a continuing care retirement community or a life plan community. These are insurance products as well. They just don't look like an insurance product. So there's about 1,800 around the country. Most of them, 85% of them are not for profit. Some are for profit. And this is a community where you move in as an independent adult. So you have to pass a cognitive test and a physical assessment. And you live there and pay a monthly fee and you get the equivalent of one meal a day and transportation and activities and social engagement and home and home maintenance is taken care of, all the landscaping, et cetera. And as you age, if you need additional care, you get that care within the community. So if you need assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, you get it right there at a reduced cost. So if you've decided not to age in place, where's the right place for you going forward? It's one of those things that requires more reflection, more thought than you might expect. And Ryan Frederick, author of the book, Right Place, Right Time, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Home for the Second Half of Life, 
shared his insights. I have been thinking about this question for the better part of 15 years. And I, about the, is this intersection of place and healthy aging? And maybe I've had a chance to think about it too much, but it's what led to this book of right place, right time. And it's a few things. I think part of it is for everyone to appreciate why, when we say place, what do we mean? And it's easy sometimes to just think about place as our four walls in our house, but it's, it's a lot more than that, right? It's your physical space, but it's also your neighborhood. It's what, are you in urban, rural, suburban area? Are you in what metropolitan area? And so, you, and then what region of the country or even country? So you have this composite of how we think about place, but then place has a meaningful indirect and then direct impact on our lives because, you know, the right place makes it easier to find purpose every day. It makes it easier to be socially connected, be physically active, be financially secure, you know, for longer life. And then it has a direct effect because in some cases you may, your physical place, you might be emotionally connected to or not, or you might have some physical limitations and you may, their place may not be appropriate for you. So I think about it as this, it's so important, Joe, that I think that it should be placed on the same level as eating well, exercising, financially planning for a longer life. It's right up there as we think about planning for a longer life. And it it starts with a vision of what you want your life to look like. And then how does place help enable that to happen? I haven't always thought that way, but in this journey and then writing the book, that's what became pretty evident to me. When you're thinking about where you'll live next, the topic of community comes up pretty quickly. What's the right match for you in terms of your needs and what you're looking for that will be a good fit? Sylvia Ascarelli of MarketWatch created a tool, online tool called Where to Retire. She actually retired last year from MarketWatch, but you can still access the tool. You'll find the link in the show notes. She shared her wisdom on how to explore where to find your new tribe. I think. We all romanticize certain places, and but for all of us, no matter our age, to me, the big question is, how am I going to build my personal network of friends? We know that socialness, being having friendships is really important for our cognitive, for our brains, and to keep us healthy and happy and to ward off things like dementia, which we all want to avoid. But, and this isn't just for I'm moving in retirement. I had a long conversation with a millennial at my local farmer's market on Saturday, and she was debating whether moving to the suburban area where I live would be a good fit for her as a single woman. And yeah, her mom is here and that is kind of good, but going back to driving people crazy. But it was a lot about how are you going to make find your tribe? So what activities will you do to meet people if you don't go to church? What will you do? Do you use meetup? Or do you have a passion that will get you introduced to the local community in some way? So Market Watch published a piece a while back that I found really interesting. It was about a couple who thought they'd ride out the pandemic at their weekend house along the river. And then rather than in the city and being there 24-7 highlighted what they didn't really like about the area that they hadn't really had to deal with before. So they're like, okay, we shouldn't move. And they had fond memories of an area in Rhode Island where on the coast where they'd lived years and years before. So they started house hunting online and ended up buying something, moved. And then once they were there, realized that it was actually hard to break into that community 
or the part of the community they were living in, that people had been there for decades and they didn't need to befriend a newcomer. And so maybe it would have been different if they'd been in a different neighborhood or a different part of the area. But then when a longtime friend got sick and that friend lived in yet another place they had lived in before, and they realized how important that community and that to that their personal community in that area where they lived decades ago, how important that still was to them and how they still had friends there. And so they made yet another move and they're very happy. But this person concluded that community is more important than that beautiful view of the ocean. And I think that's something we can all keep in mind. Unfortunately for them, it was just a very expensive way to learn that. I'm going to flag another Market Watch story. We had an interesting piece a while back from someone who retired to a small southern town and also had to come to grips with what that really entailed and how open and welcoming it might be or not be and how to break in. Finally, I'm going to say, I know everybody wants low taxes, low costs, but the right spot is more than just low taxes. Think about medical care, because as we age, we need more of it. And will you be able to get to the hospital or the specialist easy? Who's going to drive you there if you can't drive? And long, pleasant, long drives, I think, are a lot less pleasant as we age. Catherine, one other thing. My colleague in Florida tells me about the short life of roofs there and the high insurance costs, which is not something I would expect because it's not part of my world. So just don't expect that the things that you have where you live now carry over to some other part of the country. Just ask a lot of questions before you pack up because unfortunately a bad move is an expensive mistake. So what if you are indeed planning to age in place? Lisa Sini thinks you should flip the script, change the question. Ask not how to age in place, but how can you thrive in place? In fact, she's written a book about it, Boom, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Preserving Your Freedom and Thriving in Place. A lot of people, like you just said, think of aging in place as staying in place, but it's not thriving in place. And I think there's a difference. I talk a lot about and have looked at technology. Our cars adjust to us. So I'm 4'11". My husband thinks he's six foot, but he's not. He's like, you know, (laughs) 5'9 or something like that. But our seats are very different. How my mirrors adjust to me, how my seat is heated or cooled. The passenger side has different adjustments. Where I can plug things in, how it can help me, you know, control my speed, not to get too close to somebody and even self-park. And we spend a lot less time in our cars than we do in our homes, yet our homes in general don't adjust to us, especially as we age. So when we're talking about aging in place, we're talking about thriving as we choose where we want to live. And that could be you're living part of the year in a different uh, area. It could be you're traveling around the country. It could be that you're in senior living or you're staying in your home that you bought when you're in your 20s and you've been there your whole life. So The point is, how do we get that environment to adjust to us, to allow us to feel safe and free and have confidence as we age? And I know, at least for me, I'm short. I can't just jump on a countertop any longer and try and get the wine glasses down. I like it's a little tenuous on that. Like I might fall at any second. My mom has shoulder issues, rotator cuff issues. So getting things from the top down or the bottom up, back issues, knee issues, arthritis. So if you can have your home adjust to you so that you can still do the things that you love to do, 
that make you autonomous, that give you independence and dignity and freedom. I think that's a win. And those small investments in comparison to what you're going to get out of it in years, in quality of life, in feeling good about yourself and being able to stay connected are like nothing when you really look at it. We just get in this kind of very like Scrooge McDuck or mentality that we've got to hold on to every dime because we don't know how long we're going to live. And then you fall, you end up in rehab and then you die. So it's kind of opposite. We've got to get so much more proactive on how we treat our house. When thinking about where to live next in your next chapters, you don't want to put the cart before the horse. Step back, look at the bigger picture first. Ashley Bursal, a renowned designer and author of the book, Design the Long Life You'll Love, explains what it's like to think like a designer as you contemplate your next chapters. So thinking like a designer is, in my mind, using design principles. So it's thinking with empathy, uh, being able to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. But when it comes to designing our life, it also means having empathy for ourselves, which is important. Holistic thinking, or which really means big picture thinking, seeing the big picture. And when you see the big picture, you see these dots that you might want to connect in new and different ways. You can gather inspiration from different places. It's also asking what if questions, because as soon as you say what if, it opens up your mind to possibilities. And then collaboration, which also is a great way of opening up your mind to different ideas, different expertise. And and you know, when you're a designer, you can't do anything by yourself. You always need a client, a manufacturer, you need researchers and marketers and engineers. So we're very used to collaboration. And I think that also works for our life where we can collaborate. And then optimism again. And optimism is important because when you think that, okay, we have problems, but the optimism makes us think that no matter how hard the problem, we can come up with a better solution and that energizes us. And that's really what you want to do when you're thinking like a designer. That's it for this best of episode on where will you live in your retirement? You'll find links in the show notes to each of those conversations if you'd like to listen to the full podcast episode. My goal is to help you retire smarter by bringing different perspectives and conversations to your awareness as you think through your retirement planning. Thanks for listening. You can browse all of our episodes at our website, retirementwisdom.com. 